from Public Health Institute. Welcome to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast, a new podcast that highlights stories from the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, a U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention funded program implemented by the Public Health Institute. Our fellows are guided by CDC Global Health experts and work on the front lines of global health, developing the technical and professional skills needed to make meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges. I'm your host, Whitney Hall, the program's administration and communications specialist. Today, our guest is Ibuke Koyunju, MPH, who is a Global Epidemiology Fellow for the Immunization Systems Branch in Atlanta, Georgia at CDC Center for Global Health. Welcome, Ibuke, and thank you for being on the podcast today. Let's start with your path to public health. How did you first become interested in public health and what influenced you to pursue your master's degree? Thank you for having me. Um, Like so many others that have been on this podcast, I became interested in public health through a dissatisfaction with another field. Um, I've always been fascinated by infectious diseases. I was always a person geeking out on outbreak-related board games and books and movies, so that led me to pursue an undergraduate degree in biological sciences. And I was involved in bench laboratory science, and my plan was to pursue a medical degree But I realized that as a medical practitioner, I'd be involved in treating individual cases rather than intervening on the underlying mechanisms that were generating those cases. So I felt like public health and epidemiology in particular provided an opportunity to have a bigger impact on global health disparities. Great. Well, before getting your MPH, I saw that you studied abroad in Monteverde, Costa Rica, researching Chagas disease causing parasitic infections. Uh, We actually were there at the same time because I lived in Monteverde from 2014 to 2016, working at a bilingual school. So I know it was several years ago now, but I would love to hear more about what that experience was like for you um, doing research at the Monteverde Institute. Yeah, that's crazy that we had overlap. Um, I was only there for three months and I'm still missing the Platanos and Gaia Punto. So, but yeah, I was at the Monteverde Institute doing an ecology and conservation program. And while I was there, I worked on a small project examining the prevalence of Chagas disease transmitting triatamine bugs in areas that had undergone home treatment with insecticides. Um, But because of the emphasis of the program, I really became interested in agroecology and I actually spent most of my time working on projects related to that. And it really shaped the way that I think about conservation and how sustainable food systems impact human health. Oh, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing what a small world. Uh, What is your current role as a PHICDC fellow? I am a Global Epidemiology Fellow on the Demand for Immunization team within the Global Immunization Division, and our team conducts behavioral epidemiologic research to understand barriers to vaccine uptake in low- and middle-income countries. And my background and training is in epidemiology and biostatistics, and I use those skills in my current role to implement and evaluate interventions aimed at improving coverage of routine immunizations, Um, and also to collect and analyze data on public knowledge, attitudes, and practices related to immunizations. Great. Well, it's definitely very important work. Uh, How did your prior work experiences abroad prepare you for the work you do now with CDC, and what influenced you to apply for the fellowship? I think that in graduate training programs, we're taught scientific best practices and how to design, implement, and evaluate interventions in ideal world scenarios. Um, but 
understanding that there isn't one right way to do something and having the flexibility and communication skills to be guided by scientific principles while still negotiating real world settings is I think something that comes with living and working abroad. And I applied for the fellowship because I wanted to have experience working in a governmental organization. And I also knew that it would provide an opportunity to keep working abroad and contributing my skill sets um, while also being mentored by leading global health experts. Great. So your fellowship started in September of 2019, and pretty soon after your orientation, you traveled to Romania for a site visit. What was that visit like, and what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, that was maybe the best first day on the job I've ever had, was to be eating eclairs with my mentor in Bucharest. Long day of work, but still. Um, So my team supports a project in Romania that's evaluating an intervention aimed at improving the communication skills of healthcare workers. Um, Romania is one of many countries around the world that have been affected by avoidable outbreaks of measles due to growing challenges with vaccine hesitancy and a lack of community demand for vaccines. And healthcare workers are often the most trusted information sources for caregivers. And there have been techniques related to interpersonal communication and motivational interviewing that have been used successfully to encourage uptake of immunizations in other settings. So um, during that site visit, we went and met with healthcare workers to get their perspectives on existing barriers to immunization. We learned about how rumors about the MMR vaccine are being spread by celebrities. um, And all those perspectives were really helpful in informing the intervention design and the evaluation methodology. Wonderful. So after that trip in December, you provided in-country support in Ethiopia on the polio response there. What did you contribute specifically to the response, and are there any highlights that stand out from that visit? I was working in the Emergency Operations Center, um, and my main task was to design and implement a multi-day training in geospatial analysis using um, quantum geographic information systems, or QGIS. Um, And in the context of the polio response, geospatial analysis was being used as a tool to identify regions with outbreaks of polio for targeted immunization activities. So that was a really great experience. Um, And in addition to that, I was actually involved in developing standard operating procedures for cleaning data related to measles outbreaks, which were occurring simultaneously to the polio outbreaks. And that actually ended up being what I spent most of my time on, which stood out to me because In public health, I think we often have a siloed approach and we don't recognize the ways in which public health crises are not mutually exclusive. Ethiopia had ongoing measles outbreaks and polio outbreaks at the same time. And it seems really obvious as I say that, but it's something that I think needs to be recognized more in the planning and implementation of infectious disease control efforts, that things don't happen just in silos. Yes, that is a great point about, you know, crises, how they can overlap and certainly affect one another. Um, In February of this year, you traveled to Sierra Leone to contribute to strengthening immunization systems and capacity building. What did that entail exactly and what were some key takeaways for you from that visit? Um, The 2014-2015 outbreak of Ebola in Sierra Leone caused major disruptions to child health services, including delivery and uptake of childhood vaccinations. And 
There have been huge strides that have been made in improving coverage since then, but an outstanding challenge is dropout between the first and second doses of vaccines. So um, in an effort to address this, our team in collaboration um, with ICAP and the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunizations um, worked to strengthen the capacity of healthcare workers to identify and track children in communities who have missed or defaulted on immunizations, and also to improve healthcare worker skills and community outreach and demand promotion. So during my time in Sierra Leone, we worked with stakeholders in the Ministry of Health to understand existing barriers to data quality. Um, we did a training for the facilitators of all the future trainings that would be done with healthcare workers. Um, and I would say a key takeaway for me was probably how critical the role of the Ministry of Health was in encouraging attendance to the capacity building trainings and just how their leadership was so critical in ensuring the sustainability of the project objectives. Nice, yeah, you've had a very busy fellowship here then. <laughs> Let's talk about your work with CDC's Emergency Operations Center. Uh, I believe you were working for them in April responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. What was your assignment and what kind of tasks did you work on? I was a member of the data quality team on the case surveillance task force. Um, and they, the task force conduct case-based surveillance of COVID-19 cases reported by states. And as a member of the data quality team, I was involved in standardizing how data elements are reported and automating data cleaning processes. And for me, it was my first time in my public health career that I was involved in domestic work. So that was really interesting. Um, it was really interesting seeing how CDC plays a critical role unifying countrywide public health efforts by interfacing with different states. So that was a great experience. So how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your current work assignments with CDC? Well, some of my work assignments have been delayed due to countrywide lockdowns and safety precautions that had to be taken to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Um, but really the main ways in which my projects have been impacted is that we're amending a lot of the data collection tools to integrate questions that quantify disruptions to immunization service delivery, um, and also to collect data on public knowledge and attitudes about a future COVID-19 vaccine. Yes, a COVID-19 vaccine is certainly a popular topic right now. Um, you helped plan and execute the first ever WHO conference on infodemiology. I know that our program manager, Christine Carabayo, was really interested to hear more about that. Um, according to your mentor, Nitu Abad, it was a massive successful undertaking that will help shape the science of understanding the effect of misinformation on health behavior. I'd love to hear more about that conference, what it was like, and how you went about implementing it. So I guess first a little bit of context to even talk about what infodemiology is. Um, so misinformation, which is false or inaccurate information circulated in good faith, impacts human behaviors. And that's not new. We, we know that rumors can have negative impacts on health. Um, but misinformation can also lead to disinformation, which is deliberately spread falsehoods such as hoaxes or myths that are specifically designed to achieve an agenda. Um, and the ease of misinformation spread and its ability to influence behaviors has been especially challenging in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the World Health Organization actually um, declared that there is a parallel infodemic occurring um, in addition to the pandemic 
uh, due to the excessive amount of information that's being spread and the ability of that information to hamper prevention and control efforts. And so just as we study the distribution and determinants of infectious diseases, infodemic management can also be approached as a science. Um, and the objective of the conference is really to begin to define infodemiology as a science and to develop a unified global agenda to move the discipline forward. And the conference actually ended up being the most widely attended conference in WHO history. Um, and it gathered experts from a diverse range of fields. There were journalists and epidemiologists and criminologists and anthropologists. So it was really great to see how all of those disciplines were needed to define this new discipline of infodemiology. Um, and it was a really great experience being part of that and trying to get all the experts together in one virtual room. Thanks. Yeah, that's great to hear about infodemiology and just learn more about it. Certainly, it's so important to have accurate health information right now in a global context, along with just here in the U.S. Uh, I guess going off of that, since so many meetings, classes, conferences like the WHO one are virtual right now, and you're someone who works with people all around the world um, and definitely has a lot of you know experience working cross-culturally, do you have any advice about how to be successful while teleworking in a you know cross-cultural context? Well, I mean, my role as a fellow on the demand for immunization team has always been at CDC headquarters in Atlanta. So excluding opportunities for temporary deployments, like we've talked about in this interview, um, I actually have always been working with project stakeholders around the world in a telework context. So COVID-19 actually hasn't affected my day-to-day -day activities that much in that sense. Um, so I think it's just as important as would be in person to just recognize that people have different communication styles and just make sure that everybody has an opportunity to voice their viewpoint. Well, you have done so much this year and also just, you know, your career in general leading up to the fellowship. You've lived in different countries. You spent time in Zambia and just working in different public health capacities. What are a few of your career goals for the future working in global health? I would like to pursue a PhD in epidemiology, um, and the reason for that is that it'll give me the academic training that I need to be a leader in my field of interest, but it would also open the door to pursue a role with CDC's Epidemic Intelligence Service. And my kind of overarching long-term goals are to stay involved in vaccine-preventable disease outbreak preparedness and response either working through CDC or non-governmental organizations such as Doctors Without Borders. Excellent. Um, like I've asked other fellows in previous episodes, if listeners are curious to follow in your footsteps at some point and are interested in pursuing public health, do you have any advice to those listeners in terms of what has helped you enter this field and succeed? The best advice I have, I think, is simply just to be curious. Um, I've never come across anyone in public health that's not willing to discuss their research or give advice. And I've had the opportunity to work with so many fantastic mentors and researchers just by reaching out and asking informed questions to learn more. Um, and that was not necessarily my experience in other fields of study. I think people in public health really, there is a good community where people are willing to share guidance um, and everybody wants everybody else to succeed. So I think really just be curious. 
Do you have any favorite public health trainings or resources you recommend either for people with your educational background or those who are newer to public health? Uh, well, recently I took part in a two-week course in infectious disease modeling. It was offered by the London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, and it was really fantastic, and I recommend it for anyone interested in infectious disease transmission dynamics. Great. Well, wrapping up our time together, I know your work is really focused on immunization around the world. Uh, I'm curious how often you are paying attention to the anti-vaxxer uh, sentiments that are often you know, publicized in the media, um, people who are pretty fearful of vaccinations, especially with the anticipation of a COVID-19 vaccine uh, possibly in the near future, and, and just kind of how often you're thinking about that population. Yeah, so that's actually my job entirely, is trying to understand why people have those views, why, what are the barriers that are leading to vaccine hesitancy, and what can we do to address those barriers, and infodemiology is a part of that, so people don't just, people aren't born with views on vaccines, they develop those views based on the information that they see, and rumors, um, and hoaxes, and things like that are circulating, and they're circulating with growing speed online, and so infodemiology is the scientific discipline of trying to understand the spread of that misinformation and disinformation and try to intervene on it. It seems so technical, a lot of the stuff you do, but it, I mean, I guess it relates out to the greater public in just terms of getting people to listen to, to public health professionals. So it's definitely interesting because um, we, like I said, I work in low and middle income countries, but it's an issue that is growing in our backyard as well. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ibuke, and sharing your experience with our listeners, and thanks for all that you do in public health. Thanks so much. It was great chatting with you. Thank you to our guest, Ibuke Koyunju, and all of you for tuning in to Episode 6 of the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast. This podcast is a project of the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, which is implemented by the Public Health Institute and its partner, Consortium of Universities for Global Health, for the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Please join us next time as we share more fellowship stories. To learn more about our program and see how we are making meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges, visit our website at phi-cdcfellows.org. For questions, please email us at info at phi-cdcfellows.org. This podcast is produced by Whitney Hall. Thank you to Mike Sage, Christine Caraballo, Jasdeep Dulé, Natasha Alcaz, Rora Michael, Christine Jolly, CDC's Center for Global Health, PHI, and CUGH.